0: Artificial intelligence and localization were made for each other. For the first time in history, we have the power to make localization more authentic through AI. The thing that's interesting to me is where does marketing play a role? Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Hila Shivtri Nisim is a marketing veteran and the chief marketing officer at Blend, an AI localization platform that works with brands globally to help implement stronger localization practices and strategies. What's really interesting to me about Hila is that she has over 20 years of experience in marketing, and I can't imagine a better person to have with us today and ask every marketing question we want to know, and a few things as well about AI and localization. Hila, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, if you can't tell, I'm jumping out of my seat. I'm really excited about diving in with you today because, you know, you have such a wealth of not just localization and AI experience. That's the space that you're focused on now, but you have this long career of marketing. And so I think that you bring a very unique viewpoint because it's it's a very rich perspective. So why don't we take a step back first and ask you to explain localization versus AI localization and is it a one versus the other or based on your marketing experience, what does the ideal solution look like or is there an ideal solution? So let me try to explain.
1: Localization in general is, is the process you do in order to tra- transform ideas, content, businesses into new different markets, new different languages, cultures. And um, so there are many ways to do localization uh, in the past. Everyone was talking about translation. Now, localization is the bigger concept because there is way m- more into it than just translation. Many aspects, many types of content, mediums, uh, nuances uh, from the content itself through through the market research to through, through SEO keywords and um, even you know the, the product customer experience. So. There are so many things you need to think about when you're entering a new market or serving audience in a different language. So there are many ways to do localization from human experts or linguists that are doing the work from scratch. And on the other end, there are AI and machines that are helping with the process. The way I see, you cannot do just one or the other. I think Obviously, the human, the human option is great, but it's way more expensive, complex, time-consuming. And that's why we are using today lots of AI technologies, machine learning, uh, in order to make the process more effective, faster, um, save some money, and also uh, help the human translators, the human linguist experts, do their jobs better. So we start at Blend, we start with the machine uh, as much as we can. We try to process the content through AI technologies. And then we bring in the experts from the different locales, from different parts of the world to verify, to edit, to make sure that the machine got it right. Because at the end of the day, you cannot make it without the human uh, touch or the human aspect. Um, so I think it's a combination. I think today most companies do localization uh, together, like
0: AI and the human uh, part. Uh, And you mentioned machine learning. So is the role of the translator different? Are they there to train sort of the AI? Or what's really the role of the translator today?
1: Right. So it's a good question. We are actually training the machine every day. So whenever a a content piece is going through this process of AI, processing by the AI machine, and then it's being delivered to the human experts to read it, to edit, to review, Every corrections that the human translator is doing is going back to the machine. So next time, the output will be better. So in a way, the, the human translator is helping us to train the machine. But uh, his role is really to make sure that the machine didn't got it wrong. You know, got
0: it right. No mistakes. I see that a lot when I use the Google Translator. My native language is Croatian, and so I like to look at the translations from English to Croatian or Croatian to English. And if I ever need a pick-me-up, I go to Google and look at their translation, because I think of Google as a holy grail of translation, of machine learning, of AI. And I realize that we're not even like walking. We're just crawling, it seems, these days. Is that true? Are we just crawling in terms of machine learning and AI for localization?
1: I think it's just complicated, and we'll we'll always need the human aspect. You know, we say that to make AI intelligent, human intelligence is needed. It's like uh, we help it be, be smarter for the next time. But at the end of the day, there is always this human touch that we have to add to the. Whenever it's a, the content is a customer facing, the, con- the content needs to be accurate and correct. It's not for internal use. If you're going to Google Translate sometimes to understand a friend, a post uh, published on LinkedIn, that's fine. You got it right, 90% right, 85% right. But when a business needs to localize its product or website, you have to have 99.9% right. So uh, that's why we cannot take the risk of trusting solely on the machine. So our community of translators, we cannot do it without them, actually. So it's a big part of of the process and we try to put as much as we can into the machine but the output must go through this quality assurance and editing part
0: is that always going to be the case because i'm thinking about where we are today and we certainly are in uncertain times right brands are having to adopt and succeed in not just a globalized world but a very polarized one so how does a machine actually understand that can it or is it really down to the human then it's not just translation,
1: so it's not just saying the same sentence in the different language. In many, many cases, you have to say it differently. It's what what we call transcreation or even content creation, because you have a certain landing page or a campaign in 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 English for the US market, but for Israel, it will probably be a totally different, you know, grammar or language, because. Hebrew is so different than English in terms of uh, how you treat female and male and, like, so many verbs. are. So sometimes you have to have this human, uh, you know, intelligence in order to convey the same, me- the same message, but that it will sound, like, natively local, like not something that was written in another language and was translated. So I think as long as businesses and brands really need to maintain this feeling or concept of uh, talking to people as you know as people and uh, becoming natively local. They need this local touch of, of an expert that lives in the same country. Uh, when it comes to translation, I think we might get to high, high uh, uh, percentage of accuracy and maybe this will um, I don't know, be done by the machine completely in the future, but I think when it comes to really communicating and then talking to people, I think trans creation, content creation in different languages will still need people to do the, the job. Although today there are also AI technologies for content creation, right? So uh, we
0: are getting there, I guess. So that's a great question because you've said previously that content is king. Are we at a point where machines can be trusted to create content and to localize content for us? And how much of that freedom should we give to machines because we might want to experiment but how do we balance the opportunity and the risk because if you make a blunder it could cost you right
1: i really don't know no it's uh, beyond my ability to forecast but uh, i guess that's where the world is going with you know with synthetic voice today and ai text to voice and synthetic video and synthetic even like imaging you you create Characters you create images of people that do not really exist today with technology, so it's really beyond my my ability to understand where we get you know where take us. But yeah, technology is
0: fascinating. I guess. Where do you see the role for that technology in marketing? If marketers want to experiment whether it's with localization and sort of using AI localization versus human localization or using even synthetic data. From a purely marketing perspective, where is the role for that experimentation? How should people actually experiment with that before they just unleash the capabilities globally? Yeah, I
1: guess there there are many ways to experiment. Like you can, today when you want to start localizing or penetrating a new market, I think it's a bit easier than in the past, where you need to go and find translators and screen them and hire them and educate them and then work on too many different files and systems. There are like very easy-to-use tools and technologies that make the process easier, make it faster and, and even you know less expensive, so you can experiment with the lower budgets and see how the market responds, how the traffic is. Behaving, do visitors, say, behave on your website. So I think uh, it makes it easier to start and try it out. Obviously, when you see it works, so you scale. But that, that's also part of the advantage. You can scale very quickly. You're not limited. So even when it comes to people, our community is so large, we can scale projects, you know, very fast. Um, and technology is, you know, unlimited uh, in capabilities. Uh, when it comes to, I guess, video and imaging, again, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it makes it more accessible, I guess. Uh, I don't think I've used the uh, video synthetic video yet, but I used videos, explainer videos, uh, sales videos with lots of characters, lots of uh, different languages, so it's very easy to, to do it today with certain technologies. I think it's great for marketing because this is what we do. We create content all day. So it it makes our lives a bit easier. Um, Yeah, also content editing tools that makes our language better, you know,
0: so... What about the cost aspect? Because one of the things that I think a lot of people wonder about is the quality versus the cost aspect. There's always this trade-off, it seems. I'm leaving the human, which is seen as the ultimate quality assurance, if you will. So it's a really high cost in kind of using the human translation localization aspect. If we move to the AI aspect, of course, you get economies of scale, I would hope. But where does cost come down? Are you finding that there's a perfect balance or a perfect formula for a combination of human and AI-driven localization and translation, or how do we actually understand the right percentage or the right formula to get the marketing strategy delivered?
1: Yeah, I think most brands do not trust solely on the machine and the fact that they can combine the two, it means that the translator works less time or he has to translate less words, so the payment is cheaper. And he can, she can make like more projects at the same time and even earn more money for living. So I think this balance of working with a localization platform that combines the two, I think it's way more uh, cost-effective and you're not compromising on quality at all because that's why you want someone that you know, most of our brands know in person, you know, the, the translators they work with, they're part of their team, they have weekly calls with them, they make sure they know the tone of voice, the brand, you know, personality, and that's how they are. They they, they ensure that the content is really speaking their language in all these languages. Um, so I think uh, in in this regards, the technology brings uh, lots of advantages. And also, there is something that is called translation memory. This memory is something that we build over time, and less complex or less, less work for the translator, because this memory, you probably are repeating some of the terminology, some some of the sentence, some of the, the, the professional language, and then we have these ways to find the matches in the text, and sometimes it's even above 100% because not only that the paragraph is the same, but the, the paragraph before and after are the same, so... You're you're quite confident that this text was already translated and it was done, you know, in a in a good way. And then the human can work less uh, less time or less hard. So uh, all these tra- translation and memory and machine translation technologies, I think together, they really bring lots of uh,
0: advantages in terms of cost, time, and quality. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but I'm also thinking about the challenges because what we're really talking about is the need for a lot of data, a lot of information and a lot of data. And yet we're living in this really crazy world where there are more and more data privacy regulations. And so at the same time that we need more and more data, we're seeing almost more and more restrictions on that data. How do you advise marketers to start to balance that, especially when we're talking about localization and translation? I mean, it's a little bit of a Pandora's box, I think. So if we think about it, like, let's break it down, maybe, like from a marketing perspective, just thinking about it from a traditional marketing perspective, you want to be able to connect with your users. And to do that, you have to be able to personalize things potentially. And the same holds true, probably, for translation and localization. You want to be able to localize to not just maybe a group of people, but maybe you want to localize to the individual potentially. And so that requires data. But then if you have things like GDPR, for example, it does put a little bit of a damper on how much data you can have. And I'm wondering, does that does that impact? And if so, how does that impact the machine learning that we're doing for translation? Um, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe we strip the personal data out. I'm not sure how that works.
1: I think it's the same challenge you have when you are personalizing your email marketing or your paid campaigns on LinkedIn. Like We are a localize, localization work, yeah, hand in hand with this platform. So if you are able to send an email to dear Christina, then all we need to do is understand that this is your name and not translate this word, right? Because it's a name. You, you don't want to, to localize the name. But other than that, I think, the same privacy and personalization standards that the organization or the marketing department already works, that's what we connect to. You know, some of our clients, we are localizing their customer support tickets. So we are actually getting the ticket, the answer in the, in the native language of, of the... So. But again, the date, we do not own the data. It's the company's content. We do maintain this translation memory for the client. But it all meets all privacy and security requirements. So in these regards, I think uh I don't see any additional risk to the existing risks that there are today with data and
0: personalization and market, you know, advertising in general. So yeah, that's interesting. I think it, it introduces um interesting requirements between who's a controller or who's a processor in the traditional data privacy realm. And so something I think for for organizations and for our listeners to be thinking about for sure. I'm curious, I think about small companies because we've been talking a lot about larger companies potentially, but what strategies and tips do you have for successful startups or small business marketers who are trying to really take on the global market stage at this moment? Because they're a unique audience and certainly one that you've had a lot of experience with. So, again, it
1: really, I don't think you, you, sh- you should localize as a first step. You should start, you know, uh, the go to market strategy, find the, the product market feed, find the right audience, and then scale and grow. And then, if this requires speaking to other audiences in other places, so obviously localization is a great way to, to do it. Um, I don't think it's different than, than large brands, actually. I think small startups, when they grow and they see the potential of globalization or, you know, many e-commerce brands, gaming companies, e-learning, but also other tech companies that find that there is a market for them in China, they need to speak Chinese. So most probably they will hire a person or two on the ground, but then the localization work itself, they will do through some kind of a vendor. And so I think it really is a process that you need to start and scale gradually. Um, And when you see the results, when you see the ROI, when you see the revenues coming in, then comes the appetite and then you keep scaling. And, And it's good because you can do it gradually. You don't need to start one day with 30 languages at once. Most companies do it one market after the other. And sometimes, you know, they can be, they can see a huge success in one market and a failure in the other. And then maybe it has to do with the product itself, with the competition, with the audience. Tell me,
0: how should I think about organizations that have a website? Because this happens to me a lot with very specific companies and I know I'm picking on them. I'm not gonna name their names because I think it's not a nice thing to do. But I go to their websites and I like to visit the Croatian websites because I can easily see what's been translated versus not. And what I find fascinating is when companies translate some of the content on a website, but not other content. And it's almost confusing to me as a user. I can read English and Croatian, so it doesn't really matter much. But it seems like it would be it's just bizarre. Like it's it's not hard. But it's a little bit jarring to me. It's just, it's not a very seamless experience. From a peer marketing perspective, is there advantage to translating and localizing only some of the content and others? Should we be translating our offerings, but maybe not the news? Is that a really good practice or how does that work from your perspective?
1: Right. It's a very, very interesting question. Now, I think it's really a matter of budget and also demand, okay, because your case is different because you read both English and Croatian, uh, so you can tell the difference. But think about the Chinese client that comes to your website, and he sees the homepage in Chinese, he sees what solutions do you provide and about the company, and contact us. For him, this is the website. He does not know that if he clicks English, he would see a new world of blog posts and case studies and so the, I think the assumption of the marketing department or the CEO is that it's enough to convert leads from China. It's enough to communicate with them and to make sure they know what we do before they contact us. Uh, the tons amount of content that we do have on the English websites are amazing for SEO and for organic traffic and also for you know customer conversion and engagement and for education. If you ask me, they do not localize the entire con- website and content due to budget uh, restraints or concerns. Uh, other, than, I don't see any other reason not to localize everything. Sometimes it's enough. It's enough to have a few basic pages uh, like to have the marketing or business part of the company, like people uh, get to know what you do without the tons of blog posts that you publish every week when it's like, you know, it becomes really costly when you localize every piece of content that goes on on the website. I don't think it means they disrespect, disrespect, disrespect their audience. So it really depends.
0: And is I it best? It really does. Because I think you're on the heels of exactly what I was thinking. And, you know, it makes sense to me, actually, not to translate all of the content, like you said. I and mean, I've even worked with clients who say things like, well, you know, we don't really have a large presence in, you know, the Maldives, let's say, right? And so we're not going to translate content at all. And I always respect that decision because I think it's smart to have marketers who understand what their priorities are. Otherwise, if you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're nothing to anyone. So you have to be smart going back to our strategy. And so the, the translational localization answer that you gave made sense. The one thing I'm wondering is just from your experience, is it a good practice or does it matter? Is it situational to have a company maybe that translates and localizes 70% of the content and leaves it perhaps in Spanish. And then they still have links to blog posts that are in English. Like, is that an okay thing to do? No, please tell me, tell me, this is what I want to know. (laughs) I think this is not the best
1: practice because
0: when you are on the Spanish
1: website, you do not want to read English. And if you mix these two languages together, that's not the best practice. It's better not to localize because then Really, think about this user that you you did a paid campaign in Spanish, you paid money to bring it to, to your, your website, or he found you through SEO, it doesn't matter. But then if you're providing a confusing experience or if he wants to read something, but he can't, so it's not a good experience, in my opinion.
0: Um, no, that's helpful. But I, I, but think I I respect trans- that opinion. That's what
1: I'm kind of curious. I was like, what's your take yeah. on? You but I think translating 70% is okay if it. Meet your, you know, your goals and your audience and the level of demand that you're getting. And at the end of the day, it's a question of, you know, uh, investment and return.
0: So I said I wouldn't ask you this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. you can decline to answer. But I'm curious, when you think about globalization and localization, so both, who are some of the best folks to look at? Who's the gold standard where you say, Look. I really respect this company or that group or that that institution because they're doing a good job. Is somebody doing a really great job that we should be watching and striving for, or is it the case that we're all just at different maturity levels and nobody really has this in hand yet? No, I think many
1: companies take this uh, you know discipline seriously and they have really large teams that handle the localization of the company. I guess companies like Airbnb and Spotify and Netflix and from our world, HubSpot is doing a great job with a large team of, of uh, localization managers. Uh, and also there are many, even Israeli companies that are really, really investing into into it and, and uh, developing good uh, localized presence. We are working with Lightreach. It's an Israeli app developer company. They have this app called Facetune and they are really active or present in many, many markets. And they are localizing everything from the website to the app to their YouTube ads. And, and I think this is how it should be done. Um, but there are many brands that are doing a good job. Uh, and I think uh, it's, you know it's uh, the, the importance or the the level of attention that it gets is it's growing every year.
0: Do you see that there always has to be a large in-house team, or is it possible to do a good job with finding the right partner?
1: Yeah, it really depends on how much you outsource, how much you trust your partner, um, and there is also lots of work to do internally. You know. Even the decision what to localize, how to do it, creating the content in the first place before you localize it. So sometimes it's in marketing, sometimes it's growth, sometimes it's operations. And sometimes you have internal language experts that you know are there to verify and make sure you meet all that requirements, um, I think it depends on the, the level of... I, I heard of teams of 10 to 15 people internally, even in, among some of our clients, and sometimes it's a one-man show with a good group of vendors and freelancers around Here,
0: So no, yeah. uh, no one-size-fits-all solution, obviously. No, because it's such a
1: complex thing, you know. Localization is, is, is everything, really. You know. From from the the customer service, from the IVR, when you call the company, to the internal communications. You know, some of our clients are learning and development uh, managers that are in charge of all the tutorials and training for employees and guidebooks. Think about global companies that have to onboard employees in different countries, different uh, places. So, um It is a lot of types of content and materials and needs, and um, it's not easy at all.
0: But uh, we are here to make it easier for them, you know. And thanks for being here, because I think that you're making it easier, not just for them, but also for me and for for the listeners that have joined us today. It definitely is a wild ride. I think it's such a great time to, I think, be in this industry and really be paying attention to the opportunities that are coming from not necessarily switching from human translation to AI translation and localization, but really to understand where we are on this journey and what's the right mix for your brand, it sounds like, in your markets and your marketing strategy. So thank you so much, Hala for coming on to explain the world of AI localization to us. This has been great. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for joining The Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.